If you want to understand most of the Bible, you need to understand Israel. If you want to understand the end times, you need to understand Israel. This is Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerin. I'm your co-host, Kevin Harris, and today we're going to begin a series on Israel, past, present, and future. And understanding Israel is the key to understanding the world. Pat, I don't think that I'm overstating the case when I say that. Right. You know, God's plan of redeeming mankind centers with the nation of Israel. Israel has a central role in God's plan in world history. That's why it's important to understand what's going on in Israel. And especially when you look at the news today and all that is going on. Israel continues to be front and center regarding present-day news and what is going on. What is the significance of this nation? Why are they at war? Will there ever be peace in the Middle East? All that comes to an understanding of Israel, not only its past, but its present and its future. Well, give us some thoughts then, Pat, on the significance of Israel in God's plan for the world. Well, in understanding this nation of Israel, you've got to look at the past history of Israel. And we go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, a tragic thing has happened. Sin has entered into the world, and Adam and Eve have been cast out of the garden. Now the question is, what is God's plan to redeem mankind? Because as we go from Genesis 4 to Genesis 11... We see a decline in human civilization. I mean, things just get worse and worse and worse. In Genesis 4, Adam and Eve have, a, have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain murders Abel and murder enters into the world. Then one of their descendants, Lamech, he turns out to be a very wicked man, murdering a young man, and then writing a song about it. First uh, rapper there <laughs> in the Old Testament, writing about a murder that he has committed, and then he perverts the covenant of marriage, marrying more than one woman. So polygamy enters into the world. Then we have Genesis chapter 6, where it says, The sons of God, these are fallen angels. See that the daughters of men were beautiful, and so they possess powerful men, rulers, and they have sexual relations with women. And the Bible says a special race is created, the Nephilim, a very renowned race. The Old Testament labels them as a race of giants. They're probably some powerful, renowned race that was developed here. But the wickedness of man, the whole point is that the wickedness of man is so great that God needs to judge mankind. And it says in Genesis 6 that God's heart was grieved to see the wickedness of mankind. And so he judged the earth flooding the earth, wiping out all of mankind except for one family, Noah and his three sons. And from there, God starts human civilization again. Now, in Genesis 9, Noah and his family are told to spread out throughout the earth, and human civilization begins again. But once again, the sinfulness of man is revealed. God commanded mankind to spread throughout the earth and subdue the earth, but instead they gather in one place, in a city, and their rebellion culminates in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. Here they erect a tower, and they want this tower to reach to the sky as a monument unto themselves. So in the face of God, the height of their rebellion is the Tower of Babel, and God comes down and confuses their language, and because they can no longer communicate with one another, there is confusion and men end up separating and going their separate ways and spreading throughout the earth. And that's where it ends. 
And now you're asking yourself, well, what is God's plan now to redeem mankind? Well, we begin in Genesis chapter 12. God's plan of redemption centers now on a special group of people. He calls one man, Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to Abraham and he commands him to do this. He says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to a land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God chooses one man, Abraham, who lives in the Ur of the Chaldees, somewhere in southern Iraq. And he chooses Abraham to be the father of a new nation. And he establishes here in Genesis 12 what is called the Abrahamic Covenant. Now, there are three important covenants that I will go over when it comes to the nation of Israel. And this is the first, the Abrahamic Covenant, that from Abraham's seed will come a great nation. And what is the purpose of this nation? Well, to bless the entire world, that this nation living in obedience to God, will have a special relationship with God and all the earth will see that there's something special about this nation, that they have a relationship with the God of the universe and they would be a light to all the world, that the people from all over the world would come and want to know who the God of Israel is. And so that's the beginning of the nation of Israel. It begins with Abraham. That is such a good synopsis of the first few chapters of the Bible. And I recommend that anybody just go back once again, if you haven't done it in a while, and read Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and you'll see the flow, Pat, of what you've just talked about there. I want to remind you that we have many related subjects and topics that inform and shed light on some of the things that we're talking about available when you go to evidenceandanswers.org past shows that relate to many topics and you can go to evidenceandanswers.org right there and download the audio it's available on the website comes down to this then pat in in one sense why do you think god chose abraham well that's a good question you know and the bible doesn't really give us an answer you know in deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 7 moses reveals that it was simply god's sovereign choice that they weren't more numerous than other people's it was simply his grace they weren't uh, there wasn't anything special that made them outstanding it was God's sovereign choice and his grace to choose them in fact when God called Abraham he was not a worshiper of God in the book of Joshua chapter 24 verse 2 Joshua states that Terah and Abraham worshiped other gods And so why God selected Abraham is just out of grace, and it was his sovereign choice. Well, let's pick it up then from Abraham. How does it continue there? Well, Abraham is given a child of promise, Isaac, and then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And although Jacob is the younger one, the promise continues through Jacob. Then Jacob has 12 sons who become the 12 tribes of Israel. And we know the story of his most famous son, Joseph, who is sold into slavery into Egypt. But this is all a part of God's master plan of redeeming Israel. And through a series of providential events, eventually Joseph is reunited with his brothers and his entire family, and they are rescued from the famine that is occurring in the land. And they come down to the land of Egypt where they prosper. Now, another promise that's given to Abraham 
is given in chapter 13 and later on is given to his son Isaac and to Jacob is the promise of land that one day they will dwell in the land of Canaan or present-day Israel-Palestine, that one day they will inherit that land. Now, they come down to Egypt, they prosper, and they become so numerous, the new pharaohs of Egypt who do not remember Joseph put the people of Israel into slavery, and then through a great act of God, God sends them their greatest prophet, Moses, who leads them through a series of miraculous events, you know, the ten plagues of Egypt and the crossing of the Red Sea and leads them to the promised land. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, chapter 28 through 30, here comes the second covenant, second important covenant that's given to the nation of Israel. It builds on the Abrahamic covenant with this promise that one day the nation of Israel will inherit the land of Canaan and live there in peace. This is called the land covenant. So that's the second important covenant there. This is in fulfillment of the promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the promise will be fulfilled, but there are some conditions there. The people of Israel must live in obedience to God's laws. Should they disobey, God will discipline them and they will be ejected from the land. Now, the book of Joshua records how God delivers the nation of Israel from bondage in Egypt and conquer the promised land, which occurs in about 1400 B.C. Now, for about 400 years, they go through a cycle of judges where they, instead of being a light to the nations as they were designed to be and a blessing to the entire world, they continue to disobey God and worship false gods and false idols. And so God sends warring tribes to conquer different parts of Israel. And as they are under oppression, they cry out to God and God sends them a judge. And that judge delivers them and brings them back to the Lord. But the cycle just continues to repeat. In about 1000 BC, the nation of Israel cry out to God and say, we want a king like the other nations. And we begin the age of the kings. And the first king, of course, is Saul. He's okay king. Uh, is disobedient overall. But the second king is Israel's greatest king, King David. He's known as the man after God's own heart. Now, it's under King David we get the third covenant, the third important covenant called the Davidic covenant. In 2 Samuel 7, God establishes a covenant with David that one day a descendant of King David will rule an everlasting kingdom in Jerusalem and one day sit on David's throne, which will be an everlasting throne. So the three covenants are? Abrahamic covenant, that this will be a great nation, be a blessing to the world. The land covenant, that they will inherit a promised land, the land of Canaan, and dwell there in peace. And the Davidic covenant, that one day a descendant of King David will sit on David's throne and have an everlasting rule. Now, these are three key promises and they're unconditional. They must be fulfilled. God is faithful to his word, and these promises must be fulfilled. Now, we know what happens in the history of Israel. According to Deuteronomy chapters 28 through 30, they would dwell in this land if they remained obedient unto God. And the Genesis 12 covenant that they would be a blessing to the nation. If they lived in obedience to God, the world would see this special relationship between Israel and the God of the universe, and they would want to come to Israel and learn about their God. Well, we learn in the history of Israel, they fail in that mission. They continue to disobey God, 
And though God does miracles, though he sends them prophet after prophet after prophet, pleading with the children of Israel to repent, they do not. Now, after David's death, he has a son, Solomon. Solomon is probably the wisest king, and it's under him Israel reaches the height of their golden rule. But after Solomon, his son Rehoboam, there is a civil war and a split in the kingdom. Ten tribes ally with the northern part of Israel and two with the southern kingdom. And in the north, several kings come and go. None of them are any good. And so God judges the nation of Israel as he warned in the covenant that he made back in the Mosaic law. And in 722 B.C., the kingdom of Assyria comes captures the ten northern tribes of Israel and deports them. Now, in the southern kingdom, we have several good kings and several bad kings, but the nation of Israel turns away from God, and God also must judge this nation. And in 586 B.C., the empire of Babylon comes, captures the land of Israel, destroys the city of Jerusalem, and deports the people to the land of Babylon. They're there in exile for 70 years, and then they return And you can read the stories of their return under Ezra in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. There they rebuild the wall and rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. But they return to the land and the last prophet in Israel is Malachi. And from Malachi until the Gospel of Matthew, there is 400 years of silence where there is no prophet. They have not heard the voice of God for nearly 400 years when suddenly there is a voice crying in the desert. You know, Malachi ends that before the great day of the Lord, Elijah will appear. Well, suddenly we read in the Gospels, there is a voice crying in the desert. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and get ready for the kingdom of God is coming. And that's John the Baptist. And the people recognize him as a prophet. And John says, the king is coming and he is coming to rule the kingdom of God. Get ready to receive your king. Make way. Be prepared. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus appears, the Son of God. Here is the King of Israel who has come to his people. And when you read the Gospels, uh, let me just focus on one, the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus does miracles and he is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here, that I am your king. And he does all these miracles He preaches and he teaches through his teaching, through his miracles, through the authority that he displays. You realize that this is indeed the divine Son of God, the King of Israel. However, one of the most tragic events in history is that Israel rejects their king. You know, John chapter 1 is one of the most tragic verses in the entire Bible. It says, he came to his own and his own did not recognize him. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus tells a parable summing up the history of the nation of Israel. And he says this, Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. 
Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And the people replied, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. So here in this parable, Jesus is summarizing the history of the Jewish nation. And God has, you know, the history shows that God has sent them prophet after prophet after prophet. They continue to mistreat and kill their prophets. Finally, when the Son of God comes, they reject their king and they reject the Son of God. And therefore, the the kingdom of God is no longer at hand. It is coming at a future time. Had the children of Israel recognized and received their king, the kingdom of God would have come. But as you can see from Matthew chapter 12 on, Matthew chapter 12 is the final rejection where they look at Jesus and they say, you do all your miracles by the power of Beelzebub. All these miracles are done not in the power of the Holy Spirit, but by the power of the devil. And Jesus says, all right, that's it. He says, all sin can be forgiven, but sin blasphemy against the Holy Spirit cannot be forgiven. And that's the final rejection. From then on, Christ is talking about his death upon the cross. And the kingdom is no longer at hand. Now it is future. And so Israel rejects their king. They crucify him. And the kingdom of God is still to come. This entire series on Israel, past, present, and future, is available when you go to evidenceandanswers.org. A new program called iShows allows you to download the audio from these programs, and uh, they're available right now at evidenceandanswers.org. We're talking about Israel past. What a great synopsis, Pat, that you've given us in we're now at a point where I think we should discuss maybe some thoughts on the relationship of Israel to the church in the church age. So what about the relationship of Israel to the church? Well, right now, the nation of Israel has been bypassed. Remember, the mission of Israel in Genesis chapter 12 was to be a blessing to the entire world, that the knowledge of God would come unto the entire world through this nation. Now, unfortunately, they did not fulfill that mission. They crucified their Messiah. And as Jesus prophesied in his parables, as Paul states in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11, that now the nation of Israel has been bypassed and the mission to bring the good news to mankind has gone to a new entity called the church. And the church is developed, as you can see, in the book of Acts. And as Paul writes in Galatians and Ephesians, you know, there's no longer Jew nor Greek, male nor female, but in Christ now we are all one. And so this new entity, the church, has been given the great commission by Christ to bring the knowledge of God and the message of the gospel unto the whole world. So right now we are in what's called the church age. If you were to draw it on a timeline, it would be what's called the parenthetical period where Israel has been temporarily bypassed. God is still dealing with the nation of Israel. He needs to fulfill the unconditional promises that he gave to the nation of Israel. But for now, because of their rejection, God has judged the nation of Israel and the commission to bring the message of the gospel has bypassed Israel and gone to the church. And the judgment of Israel was seen in 70 A.D. when Titus and the 10th Legion came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, tore down the temple, and the Jews were scattered throughout the world. And they have not been back to the promised land. It's been 
was over 2,000 years before they finally returned. 1948? That's correct. You know, Pat, my reading indicates that some Christians, I think, go too far in the relationship of Israel to church. And rather than maintain that Israel is temporarily bypassed, maintain that Israel is permanently bypassed and that the church has somehow become Israel and Israel is no longer valid. Do you have any thoughts on that? Right. And there's some good theologians who hold to that position that all the promises that were to Israel are now to the church. However, you know, I would disagree. And this is an in-house debate, you know, so I would politely disagree because the three key covenants that were made there, the Vedic covenant, the land covenant, the Abrahamic covenant still need to be fulfilled. And there are some specific promises that are given to the nation of Israel. And for the people of Israel, God is faithful to his word and his promises must come to pass. And if we read the book of Revelation, you know, and I take the position that we are to read that book literally. There is a literal seven-year tribulation. There's a literal Antichrist that's going to appear. There's a literal millennial kingdom. The nation of Israel and the Jewish people, God still has a place for them. And they play a key role in future events that are to come. We're going to look at that in our, the third installment of the series, Israel Future. And so that is forthcoming. Pat, uh, one thing that we can consider, especially in light of today, is Muslims claim the blessing goes from Abraham through his oldest son, Ishmael, and not through Isaac, who is actually his second son. Any comments on Muslims' understanding of that? Right. You know, Muslims will try to make that connection and say that the promise goes through Ishmael because they try to make the connection that the Arab peoples are actually the descendants of Ishmael. Now, that cannot really be corroborated. Top scholars and historians have looked at that. And we know that Ishmael and some of his descendants do inhabit the Arabian Peninsula. But it's hard to make any connection between Ishmael and the Arab people. However, they try to make that clear connection. Well, even if they do, I mean, it really doesn't matter. Ishmael is the older of the two, but he's born in an act of unbelief. Remember, when God gives the promise to Abraham that he will have a son, Genesis makes it clear that the son will come through Sarah. And it's a hard thing for Abraham to believe because Abraham's about 100 and Sarah is 90 years old at this time. But God promises that the son will, the son of promise will be with Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Well, Abraham, wavering on his faith here, he and Sarah, they come up with a plan and Sarah says, well, I'm too old. Go to your maidservant, Hagar, and through her, you'll have a son. And so he has relations with Hagar and it's through Hagar that he has Ishmael. So it was actually an act of disobedience there on Abraham's part. But God confirms to Abraham, I mean, in Genesis seventeen twenty one and twenty one twelve, that the son that Abraham will have will, will be with Sarah. And Paul confirms in Galatians chapter 4, verses 28 through 30, that the promise comes through Isaac, not Ishmael. And so, indeed, the Bible makes it clear. The child of promise is Isaac, and therefore, the Abrahamic covenant and the promise of land and the Davidic promise, you know, they're all coming through Isaac. Pat, we're about out of time, so let's pick it up there on our next program in this series, Israel Present. We'll take a look at that next time on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. 
We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archaeology and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. You'll find Pat Zuckerman's interviews with leading scholars and speakers on the most crucial issues facing the church and the world. Go to evidenceandanswers.org and be equipped. In fact, there's a new feature on our website called iShows, where you can download each individual show for just $2.50. They're 30-minute shows on our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Just like you download a song on iTunes, these are iShows that you can download each individual show you want. And we've got some of the top scholars on there. Dr. Norman Geisler, Dr. Craig Evans, Hugh Ross, and others are on there. And also you can read our articles. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers.